Bonjour, buenos dias, danke schön. I don't know if danke schön is actually German for thank you, but Jin uh, Dobre, hello, good morning, good day, evening. This is Jim the bartender coming to you from the Florida Keys. You know I'm in the, I'm in Key Largo, and this show is brought to you by Key Largo Chocolates, operated at Peterson Family. I'll talk about them a little later. Last night. If you follow the show, you know we're in the middle of the flow season. Um, meaning restaurants are opening up, so we're having more uh, troughs and less pigs coming to the trough. And I don't equate, I'm not equating uh, customers to pigs. I'm just saying there's a lot more restaurants to go to. They just started opening up. It's going into October. And every week, more of them that close for the week or the month are reopening. Just this past week, we had Hurricane Ian roll through the southwestern part of Florida. It affected Key West and really devastated the Fort Myers area and all around there. Collier, Lee County, and I know I'm missing some things, and just devastation is incredible. So, I go into work last night. We just don't expect it to be that busy. A lot of the Airports, everything was delayed. There's not a lot of people down here. Well, boy, was I wrong. We were expecting a super slow night. And we actually let one of our servers go in order to necessitate, you know, so you don't have a bunch of people just standing around. And it turned out the dam burst and all these people started coming in. The bar was very busy. It was kind of people, it was twos and twos and threes and people that want singles that just wanted to sit at the bar and eat. And that was crowded. We had a decent crowd, uh, crowd at our tables and there's, it didn't seem to be regulars. It didn't seem to be people locals. It seemed to be people from out of the area. It didn't seem like a Miami crowd either. So it's really hard. Maybe it's people that were going to go to the Southwestern part of Florida and decided it funneled them to Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and the Florida Keys. Because the central part of the state was pretty much banged up. Like Orlando area and stuff, that's going to be a little, you know, that probably they're going to give it a couple days to settle down. Fort Myers, that's going to be off the grid for a little while. I mean, I can't see them getting that up that quickly this particular season. Not until... Summer, maybe. Maybe, because there's whole bridges taken out. But you see that devastation, and my heart goes out to them. If you'd like to donate, look for charities that are viable and honest. And when you give money to them, make sure that they don't use a lot of the money for administration fees. Which is administration fees is a nice way of saying for the people who administer the charities. And I'm not talking about the people on the ground. You have to pay the people on the ground, but I'm talking to people that run the charities in the buildings. They got to be paid too, but you don't want them to be a big bureaucracy and just have a couple foot soldiers. I just see all these charities out there. There's a new one called, I have to look into it, called the Good Samaritan Fund. And it was on Fox. And I just have a feeling that there's going to be millions of dollars taken in and 
that they're going to be one of those bloated charities that have like a 20% effective payout in distributing the resource. So that for every, let's say, every dollar, 20 cents of it actually turns out to be charitable distributed. Time to move on from there. Okay. I've been in the bar business for a while. And the thing about being in the bar business is if you have a liquor, you know, you have a, not just wine and beer, liquor, and you have a wide assortment, you always have a couple bottles, just like a spice rack. If you have a house, you always have spices. You have spices in your cabinet right now that you probably haven't touched in years, if you've ever. You probably had a recipe that required that spice, and you got it. And then since then, about six years ago or ten years ago, you never touched it. I mean, how many spices do you use? I generally use like three or four. Garlic, onion powder, sometimes mustard powder. I know I'm missing things. And then you got the herbs like basil, oregano, rosemary, uh, bay leaves. But there's cumin. I don't use cumin. Some people may. I don't use chili powder as much as... Thing. But there's other things in there. I can't even... Th- anise. Yeah, anise. That's also a liquor. Uh, I don't use dill as much as uh, most of them. But there's some things you rarely use. Same thing goes for liquor. And one of the big ones, and this goes back like 50, 60 years, is Galliano. And it's still around. Someone posted on one of my bartending sites... And they said, oh, I just emptied a bottle of Galliano. That was like a big to-do. Having a bottle of Galliano being emptied. Because I remember working in a place and seeing a bottle of Galliano and never working there for years and never having touched it other than to pick it up and wipe it down. And if you go to these old hole-in-the-wall dive bars, you'll see bottles that have dust on it, on the lower shelves or the higher shelves. Galliano is kind of really screwed up too. It's got a wide base and it tapers down to all the way down like a smooth kind of long curve going upwards to just the width of the opening. And it's a yellow golden type liqueur. And it's, I have to describe it as a licorice uh, flavor, black licorice flavor, kind of like anise, I think, or anisette, anisette, anise, anisette, things like that. And it's uh, an Italian liqueur. And back in the 70s, you had a slew of drinks in, in the late 60s uh, and 70s when cocktail cocktails started coming out. I mean, they had cocktails before then, but they, you had a whole assortment of cocktails that came about. And one of them was the Harvey Wallbanger. And Har- Harvey Wallbanger is a screwdriver with Galliano in it. You know, you know one, two parts vodka, one part Galliano and orange juice. And anything that you put Galliano in it, a lot of times they said, I'll have... Uh, an Alabama slammer against the wall 
or something like that. I didn't even know if they had Alabama Slammers when he went. But people were putting Galliano in it. And there are people out there that still drink that. Just like the people that drink Campari and uh, Sweet Vermouth. And there, there's people out there that just drink Galliano or Anizette. But these bottles just stay around forever, ever. Just like cream de mint, creme de mint, M E. And it's not M E. It's not M I N T. It's M E N T H E. Creme de mint, mint, and it's a nitty. And it was used in grasshoppers, uh, drinks like that. It's got a. Um, yeah, minty taste tastes like teeth toothpaste, and you can make a Girl Scout cookie with it, I guess, or a peppermint patty. You put dark cream to cocoa and creme de mint, and all these other gross cream drinks. I say gross, but th- I think that's a reflection on my my judgment as a bartender because whenever you have to use milk or cream, it kind of messes up. Your, your, your shakers and your mixing glasses, and you got to really go to town to clean it so you don't have any remnant on it. If you drink, if you're pouring vodka, like a regular unflavored vodka, it's no big deal. A lot of times, just you quick wash it and it's good, good to go. But anything with a you know milk or a strong taste in it, you got to really be vigilant about it. So you end up with these. All these different bottles. There's some weird ones out there. There and some of them are very good, but people just don't want it. At one point, one of our liquor reps came in and they had a really good deal on these flavored vodkas. Grape, orange, lime. And they're usually kind of not not necessarily a call vodka, like sky vodka, where they have grapefruit. Now orange is pretty good. They got blood orange this, but you get flavors like caramel and they want to push it and they want to see how they come up with these flavors. About 10 years ago, there was an explosion of that. Originally, you first started seeing citron, then you saw orange, and then people got grapefruit. And now you have all these other ones. Iced tea vodka. Uh, what did I say? I mentioned grapefruit, cherry, raspberry, grape, peach, watermelon. God, I'm sure there's an apricot. There is a lychee vodka. That's Kai. I think it's um, a lychee nut. I'm sure there's a kiwi pineapple vodka. Melon vodka. Jeez, you name it. Apple vodka. Obviously, apple, apple vodka. And they come around. And what happens is you've already, with a lot of these flavors they came out with, especially with a Grapefruit vodka. Think about it. You already have grapefruit juice. Why would you necessarily want to, uh, you know, people want more grapefruit taste than grapefruit juice or orange? You know, the, the vodka is the liquor. So once you put more flavor into it, it almost becomes like one of those uh, orange Tic Tacs. If you have an orange vodka and you put orange juice in it, you use a little triple sec, which is also an orange liqueur with a splash of orange juice. You got orange, 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 orange. Is that orange enough for you? So you end up with a collection of bottles. And if you don't, I guess, feature them in drinks and price them the move, which I 
I try to do, but sometimes people don't go for it. Maybe I can I can start like I make whenever we have a big event and we have to do a promotional drink. You want to make it cheap? I take some of the leftover liquors and make a punch out of it. Price it to move. You know, five bucks. Hey, it's a pretty good deal for a 12-ounce drink. So, but Galliano is not one of those. It's just funny. In the future, you know, they always say, if you hear stories about after an, an all-out, I know, trust me, you'll get the metaphor again. After a nuclear war, the only signs of life we left will be like amoebas and cockroaches. Well, when bars close down or they change hand, the only thing left from the previous one is a bottle of Galliano. I mean, if you come to one of those old bars, if they had them in Roman times and they were digging out you know, in Pompeii, Pompeii had that big volcano and they're still excavating parts of Pompeii. They could, if Galliano was back in in that time, you know, 60 BC, no, AD, I think it was that, or 90 AD or something like that, that the volcano erupted and they excavate a bar, they might find a bottle of Galliano. And, or, or earthenware of Galliano. I don't know if they had the same shape, you know, shaped like an ewer. And you always think, what the hell are you going to do with it? And, you, and they were, people were posting on, the, uh, following this post about this guy going through a bottle of Galliano. Oh, another bottle that you really don't, and there's liquor you use very little of, and that would be dry vermouth. And uh, you use a lot more sweet vermouth than dry vermouth. Sweet Vermouth goes to Manhattans, pretty much. And if you don't have any older people or hipsters, you're not going to go through that even. But dry Vermouth, if you, a lot of times they sell, you know, all these different bars, they sell bigger bottles, some of them. And you don't need a big bottle of, uh, unless you do your martini bar, yeah, you can go through Vermouth in a couple days. If you're just doing that. But there's a lot of people, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Hardly anybody ever sends back a martini that doesn't have, say, hey, there's no vermouth in this. They just want to, you know, they want to see the bottle get close to your mixing cup. Whether they want it stirred, shaken, or just straight poured. They just want to see it near. And sometimes when they want it, they want it splashed in the glass, swirled around, and threw out. I mean, you don't, unless you're like a really rare tasting of that stuff, you're really not going to get it. So hats off to all those bartenders. And you know, they're going to go looking for these bottles that are just sitting around their bar. And they say, well, how long has this been here? You know, I got to call my friends. Uh, who just closed their bar after 90-something years. 92 years, I think it was, McGee's in Philadelphia. It's no longer around. Just closed a couple weeks ago. Three, three, four weeks ago. That was their final day in business. And I wondered, what, what's their oldest bottle? Or just, just a guess, what's the oldest bottle in your restaurant? 
So I'm going to move on. I want to talk a little about our sponsors. Key Largo Chocolates. As I said earlier, it's operated by the Peterson family, Rich and Brana. And Key Largo Chocolate is a favorite destination for locals and vacationers. It has locations in Key Largo and Isle Morada at mile marker 10470 Overseas Highway in Key Largo and 81933 Overseas Highway in Isle Morada. And it's really great where you can find not only great confections, which I'll get into, they also have ice cream. They got small batch ice creams, 36 flavors. They have uh, as long as sorbettos, which is sorbet for the, I guess, the elitist out there, you want to call it, or Italians. It's a sorbetto or sorbeto. I don't necessarily know how to pronounce it in Italian. I know how to say sorbet. So, that's it. So, but they also have truffles, fudge, cookies. And they're renowned key lime pie and frozen key lime pie bars. So you can visit in person. They'll treat you great. You can go and shop for all their items. They have uh, some of the things I, I like the chocolate covered uh, potato chips and also the key lime fudge. And they make all their own products right there. And they have a website, which I'll talk about, which is www.keylargochocolates.com. And if you go there, tell them that the Keys bartender sent you. Moving on. You know, there's a lot of experts out there in whatever field. A lot of people have opinions. And obviously, people are going to say, Jim, you got a lot of opinions. Matter of fact, you have enough opinions that you made 660, is it 63 episodes of your show and you have so many opinions. Yes, but I don't stylize myself as an expert. I don't even stylize myself as an expert as bartending. And the show's called Keys Bartender. I went to school for history and public administration. That doesn't make me an expert in it. But it's amazing that sometimes we attribute expertise opinions to people that are outside their fields. I know a lot of doctors, lawyers, uh, accountants. I know several PhDs, more than a few PhDs. What am I saying? Marine biologists. And like anybody, they have opinions on subjects outside their field. And some of them think because they're credentialed in one field, that makes them more able to offer an opinion or an informed opinion than someone else when they're exactly in the same boat as anybody else. Like the guy who's the fishing boat captain could have the same knowledge about fuel pricing policies of countries, of uh, the industry that a doctor of oncology does. They have the same knowledge. They don't, they, the doctor doesn't have necessarily, just because they're an expert, they went to school for one thing, does not make them an expert in another. You know, think about that. When you're going to have someone work 
and you have an electrical problem in your house, you don't call a plumber. That's basic. But if you have an issue with your digestive system, you wouldn't see a, a podiatrist or one of my favorite words, a chiropodist, which is also a foot doctor. I don't know the difference between a podiatrist and a chiropodist. Uh, it's funny. I guess there's people that didn't know the difference. They didn't know the difference between a pediatrician and a podiatrist. They just saw pod, ped, and pediatrician. You know, it's a Greek, Greek word for, I think, children or something like that. That would make sense, wouldn't it? So you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go to a guy who's an expert, a diesel mechanic, on fixing an electric car. The motor itself. I mean, they could, they may be cross-trained in it, but if you're an expert in one thing, does not make you an expert in the other, unless you're specifically skilled that way. So why wait their argument any more than anybody else's just because they're a doctor? During uh, the COVID outbreak, we were listening to the doctors who, uh, a, one of our, one of the senators who was a had a doctor, he was an eye doctor, I guess an eye doctor, and he's making claims about COVID when he wasn't an epidemiologist or an expert in communicable diseases or viral, he wasn't a, a virologist. I think that's the word for it, virologist. They, they have some knowledge, but they aren't an expert. And yes, they may have more than a basic one or may not at all right they may not have any expertise whatsoever to offer them we there was old sayings that say oh they're very book smart but they have no common sense that's i hate saying that because there's a lot of people that are very smart that have that have a lot of wisdom i like to call it wisdom or common sense wisdom is not just knowing things. It's also being aware of your lack of, lack of knowledge in some things. And you have to ponder it and think, well, I really don't know enough about that to really say anything. You know, someone may come up and say, they asked me about crocodiles and alligators, and I said, well, I know. Uh, I have a smattering of understanding of that. I know at least in South Florida, the American crocodile is mainly a its denizen of salt water. That means it's native of salt water and brackish water. And a crocodile is mainly, I mean, an alligator is mainly fresh water and brackish water. You know, at brackish water they meet because it's a mixture of fresh water and salt water. And they kind of come together, just like some sharks sometimes make it up river. So that's pretty much it. And I kind of heard that, you know, crocodiles are more aggressive than alligators or alligators, yeah, or alligators are more aggressive than crocodiles. See, I'm not exactly sure. But I know the African crocodile is very aggressive. That's, I heard that. All I know is I don't try to go toe to toe with an alligator or crocodile. I heard about people uh, during our recent flooding here in the Keys harassing 
uh, a crocodile, which I thought was, you know, I mean, even a small one. I think that's mean-spirited if you're, you're just messing with an animal. But if it's a larger one, I think that shows poor judgment. And I did have a story. Uh, I'll tell it at the end of it. It's a really good one. It's about someone with a little, very limited knowledge of understanding of where the alligator thinks it's in charge. And you, he thinks, it, people think they're in charge. But like I said, you you got to really, and even with people outside their knowledge area, you got people in their knowledge area that sometimes have a vested interest into supporting an argument that is weak. And that would be, let's say, environmental scientists and climatologists. There are some environmentalists and climatologists that work for the Petroleum Institute, and they have varying opinions, varied opinions or opposed opinions than uh, a vast majority of climatologists, environmentalists. I'm not talking about scientists. These are scientists that they study the environment and the climate, and and meteorologists. Meteorologists have actually have a unique understanding of the change in. Uh, weather systems and things like that. They don't necessarily know what's causing them, maybe. But they, they get to source. So a person that's in the employ of the Petroleum Institute, you would naturally think that the climatologist environmentalist would not be a proponent of man-made climate change or climate change affected by uh, human activity through use of carbon-based fuels, right? They would be saying, well, it could be cattle. It's just one of those things that happen. It could be geological sources that come out. It just happens. While, you know, people... That vast majority of other people. And this is where he said, numbers are numbers. Numbers are numbers. You can argue opinions, but it's really hard to argue facts. And what they usually fall into is, you know, they, they are. And you have someone that may be a, a lawyer for an automotive company, a liability lawyer. And they'll defend their product when the product was, you know, ill-designed. There were guys that, you know, originally when, when the, um, they have to defend and say, no, this isn't the case. This occurred because of a unique situation. If, if something happened because of malfunction of the seatbelt or the gas tank, it wasn't our fault. It was improper usage. And there's other ones that argue the opposite side, and they say, nope, it was your liability that did that. So if you were going to, so there's all wide range of, of sources and authorities out there when you're looking for opinion. One thing, as a bartender, when someone says, that's not a margarita, and I go, well, if you got tequila and you got some kind of juice in it, 
I, you could call it a margarita to me. You can call it just like a lot of people call martinis because martinis would originally were just gin and a little dry vermouth. Now they call martinis everything. So a margarita, if someone decides to make a margarita with a splash of orange juice and a splash of lime and triple sack, that's their margarita. I'm not going to say tell them that that's not a margarita because the essential part I I think of a lot um, of a margarita is tequila and a citrus and a citrus. Originally, let's say predominantly it's lime and that and a little agave nectar. Usually, that was a margarita with triple sack. That was, but things change. Things change all the time. So, but I know, like I said, I'm not the arbiter or the decider of what that is. So if someone says they want to, you know, if some bartender comes, that's not how you make a old-fashioned. Well, I make my old-fashioned my way. I make my Manhattan through traditional way. Sometimes we'll put a little splash of bitters if they want it, but it's always, a, um, if someone just asks for a regular Manhattan, I'd give them Canadian or American whiskey with sweet vermouth and a splash of bitters and ask them on the rocks or straight up. I knew someone that liked to have like Southern Comfort Manhattans and they, they just want to pour it in the glass and then they want the sweet vermouth poured in it. And they always wanted it all the way to the top on the skinny martini glass. I never understood that. I'm like, that. I bet that guy, he'd be in his 80s now. I bet he's not drinking it all the way up to that glass. And not just because it's a lot of liquor in a five-ounce glass, but also because it's very hard to hold. So this sports sparked because my, my wife was talking to someone about they were talking about gas prices and their proponents of uh, that our current president is the cause of high gas prices. <laughs> right now, the gas prices in Key Largo in Florida, right? And I went by a station, I saw it at two seventy nine a gallon, and it's very close. It's getting very close to the levels of when. The last guy of orange hue was president. So that's just a fluctuation. My wife has this discussion, and person happened to be a doctor, and the doctor saying, "No, no, you don't understand it, stuff like that." And she goes, "Well, why would it be? Why would gas prices be high in the world, in Poland, in England, you know, in other places, if it's the president's influences them?" So. Just because the guy's a doctor doesn't understand what petroleum policy was and how that the financial markets work. And that's all I have to say. I'd like to thank again our sponsors, Key Largo Chocolates. Stop in and see Bronner Rich if you're in town. And I will be back soon. Thank you very much for stopping by and listening. I'll talk to you later. Hey, you know, I'm the expert. No, I'm not. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>